This week, we're reviewing a new article on 9-11 by David A. Hughes, which is entitled 9-11 Truth and the Silence of the IR Discipline. Our review is of the article itself, not about 9-11. As such, we're not going to make any claims about whether we think 9-11 was an inside job or not. We're just here to evaluate the arguments presented in the article that certain scholars are deliberately not considering the question as to whether 9-11 was an inside job or false flag event. Hmm. Now, while we do have views on 9-11, those views should be immaterial to the evaluation of the arguments being presented in the paper. So do you think we've done enough to justify our fence sitting in this regard? God, I hope so. I have splinters in my buttocks. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Transmetropolitan Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, we hope. I am Josh Edison, sitting here in Auckland, New Zealand, whereas Dr. M. Death, M. Death, off to a good start. Yep, we Dr. Sure M. Denteth, Dr. Death is uh, sitting in Hamilton. Now, we recorded an episode last week, and when I say recorded, I mean we spoke into microphones for the duration of an entire episode, um, but it, it turns out that episode was not so much recorded as just sort of cast into the void by an uncaring universe. Yes, we decided we'd try this new thing in the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy by effectively not recording episodes, mm. but performing them nonetheless. And we've got mm. this grand plan of doing church halls and town halls around the country and not telling anyone where we're going to be. So if you find us, it'll be very exciting. Yes, we tried using the Zoom system, which has a cloud recording ability. And whatever was uploaded to the cloud was never returned to us. So no. somewhere out there, there is presumably a recording of not just our episode on one year after the mosque shootings in Christchurch and nine to ten years after the Christchurch earthquakes, which we never covered on this podcast previously, but also a patron bonus episode. And they're probably being trawled now for information by the NSA, the FBI, the CIA, the KGB, the FSB, the Stasi, MI5, MI6, NZSIS, and all manner of other acronymed organizations who are very interested in what we have to say. Mm. Now, I mean, we I guess we could have just re-recorded last week's episode this week, but um, it's a bit of a balancing act. Which is Which is more effort, coming up with a topic for a new episode or saying everything we already said a week ago. I don't know. This, this well, might have been more effort, but it certainly seems less boring for us. So I think the plan is, given we've got a largely scripted episode, which we could perform again, we'll probably do it again, but in a month or so's time, mm. where it doesn't feel like we're repeating material from last week. If we give it a month, we have time to actually come at it again afresh, because we've got all the material, Yep, no, we just need true. to record it. That's true. So uh, this week, though, we're, we're skewing more academic. Um, as we said in the intro, there's been a, an interesting paper just come out about 9-11 uh, and 9-11 and truth, uh, which is 
generally these days the 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 code word for uh, 9/11 conspiracy theories, doubting the official events. Um, so we thought we'd we'd have a a jolly a jolly good academic look at this this piece of writing. Yes, we're going to engage in what is essentially a kind of post-publication peer review. Mm. And as we said, ju just to reiterate, we're, we're not going to be evaluating arguments for or against 9-11 truth conspiracy theories. We're going to be evaluating what this paper says about them, because if we tried to have a go at the 9-11 conspiracy theory, we'd be here for the rest of time, basically. Yes, that seems like a fair, fair summation of the event at hand. Mm. So, uh, with, with with all the necessary disclaimers made, I guess we should just get into it. We should indeed. Let's go into the murky world of international relations. Right, so, the paper we're looking at today is called 9-11 Truth and the Silence of the IR Discipline by David A. I assume it's a Dr. David A. Hughes. It does say he has so, a PhD yes. from Duke University. So, yes, Dr. Dr. David Hughes. Um, IR, of course, standing for International Relations, which sounds a little bit sexy. No, no, I think you'll find it stands for International Rescue, which is run by the Tracy family, uh, and they've got, you know, Thunderbirds 1 through 6. I'm sorry, is this Thunderbirds fan fiction? I thought it was... Well, what else I does IR stand of, for? Uh, well, apparently International Relations. Probably the sort of things you get up to in Romania, I assume. I am not going to comment on my international relations mm. at this particular juncture. Very well. Well, so... David Hughes, uh, we should say, um, according to the blurb on his paper, received an email from Christchurch, Oxford, PhD from Duke University, has taught international relations at the University of East Anglia, Royal Holloway, University of London, Nottingham, Trent University, and the University of Lincoln. So he appears to be a fellow who, who knows what he's talking about when it comes to international relations. But what is this particular paper uh, that he's written all about? Well, let me give you the abstract. International relations, or IR scholars, uncritically accept the official narrative regarding the events of 9-11 and refuse to examine the massive body of evidence generated by the 9-11 truth movement. Nevertheless, as calls for a new inquiry into the events of 9-11 continue to mount, with the International 9-11 Consensus Panel and World Trade Center Building 7 Evaluation Inquiries, having recently published their findings, and with a U.S. federal grand jury on 9-11 having been announced, now would be an opportune moment for IR scholars to start taking the claims of 9-11 truth seriously. A survey of the 9-11 truth literature reveals that the official 9-11 narrative cannot be supported at multiple levels. Two planes did not bring down three towers in New York. There is no hard evidence that Muslims were responsible for 9-11 other than in a patsy capacity. Various US governmental agencies appear to have had foreknowledge of the events and to have covered up evidence. Important questions regarding the hijacked planes need answering, as do questions about the complicity of the mainstream media in 9-11. I ask scholars avoid looking at evidence regarding the events of 9-11 for several reasons. They may be taken in by the weaponized term conspiracy theory, a taboo on questioning the ruling structures of society means that individuals do not wish to fall outside the spectrum of acceptable opinion. 
entertaining the possibility that 9-11 was a false flag requires Westerners to reject fundamental assumptions that they have been socialized to accept since birth. The war on terror has created a neo-McCarthyite environment in which freedom to speak out has been stifled. Yet if I ask scholars are serious about truth, the first place they need to start is 9-11 truth. Mm, strong words. So yeah, the basic... Yes, quite strong words. If, uh, if, if, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly here, the basic thrust of this argument is that the... The, the the dialogue I guess around uh, the war on terror and and basic and and international relations as it relates to the U United States as it relates to the war on terror as it relates to all, all the various companies uh, countries that are involved in the war on terror um, fundamentally rests on well these days at least fundamentally rests on the events of September 11 2001 and if it were to be shown that the official narrative about what happened on September 11th, 2001 was false, then pretty much the entirety of inter international relations theory would have to be re-evaluated. Um, and I, and I, I, I guess I agree with that. Um, if it were to be shown that 9-11 was a, a false flag or whichever particular 9-11 truth conspiracy theory you happen to be holding to, um, then yes, that would have a very very significant impact on the field of international relations. But um, that's a fairly big if built in right at the front there, isn't it? Yes. Now, it's important to note that whilst the beginning of the article kind of stresses that no scholars uncritically evaluate, oh, that's like the wrong way to put it, no scholars critically evaluate the 9-11 story because all scholars put forward hypotheses which fit in with the official theory of 9-11, with some very few exceptions, that the planes were brought down by hijacked planes piloted by terrorists trained by the organization Al-Qaeda. The author then narrows things down and goes, actually, I'm only really going to focus on one set of scholars here, the scholars in the international relations community. So I think this is a problem for scholarship in general, but I'm going to narrow my focus to simply IR scholars. Now, I don't actually know all that much about international relations scholarship. I do know an awful lot about the general academic scholarship around 9-11, though. And I do kind of worry that the central claim here, that people are simply accepting the official narrative and thus have never evaluated it, isn't actually strictly true. Mm. Yes, I mean, he says right, right at the start, um, he uses phrases like, without hesitation, everybody's accepted the official version without hesitation, um, and, and likes to make claims along the lines that anyone who accepts the official version um, does so because they're either not capable of investigating the facts properly or not interested um, in, in investigating the facts properly um, or just plain doesn't want to for reasons that he eventually gets into. Um, so, so, so straight away, you do have to wonder how true is that? But, but, but as you say, he does, he does restrict his scope. Um, but basically, 
as a mean, it's so that it would be possible to write the paper that he wants to write, because in just the same way that we don't want to spend um, an awfully long time evaluating 9-11 conspiracy theories to evaluate this paper, he doesn't want to have to trawl through the entire of academia uh, to try and make a point, especially when he's restricting himself to international relations. So he does say, um, he does say near the start, here I, here I quote from the paper, Challenging academic conformism vis-a-vis -vis the official 9-11 narrative requires A, showing that the academic literature does not adequately address 9-11 truth, B, explaining why it should, and C, explaining why it does not. There are methodological limitations on A and B in particular, namely that th th there is a ridiculously large amount of, of uh, official academia out there. So uh, any sort of a survey is going to have to cut itself down. So he sort of yeah does restrict himself to this um, to the field of IR, but he does say he does say some fairly strong and I would have said some fairly contentious things. The one that dropped that popped out to me was no IR scholar has ever evaluated the evidence for the official 9/11 narrative against evidence for the alternative hypotheses without systematically weighing evidence for competing theories against the available evidence there is no logical way to argue that one theory is more or less consistent with the available evidence therefore having failed to undertake the necessary academic due diligence IR cannot claim to know what happened on 9/11 now that to me sounds like an invitation to put forward any theory you want whatsoever that sort of seems to be saying if you ha if you don't evaluate the official theory next to any other theory that could be an alternative to it you can't claim that the official theory is true that that strikes me as a bit uh, a bit shaky Yes, that does seem to be a problematic move for the sheer fact that the author in this case is going I see no evidence in writing that anyone has ever compared the official narrative to some variation of the inside job hypothesis. And I'm sure we'll get on to the very different versions of the inside job hypothesis you can actually run later on in this discussion. And that seems problematic because if it turns out you have to compare all theories to all rival theories, you're not really going to get very far very quickly. I mean, no scholar in IR, as far as I'm aware, have evaluated the notion that unicorns actually run all of our political systems. I've just put that out there. No scholar has engaged seriously with that claim. So basically, we should say, who knows? But I think more importantly to this particular discussion, it might be the case that if you survey the academic literature, no one has sat down and said, yes, I've looked at the 9-11 truth material and I find it unconvincing. Many people will have looked at it in the background, gone, actually, I'm not convinced by these particular arguments. They're also not arguments which are widely shared or put forward by other members in my field. So I don't need to bring them up. So there's no indication just because people haven't written about the topic that that means they haven't investigated the topic. It simply shows that they don't think it's worth spending any time to write it down. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, <clears throat> the whole thing about this paper is that it basically takes it as read that 9-11 truth theories are the correct version of events. Um, Although he does do a kind of line in, I'm just asking questions, man, but yes, by and large, by and there's large. a big assertion that the inside job hypothesis is correct and the international relations community is being abrogate in their duty. It's not a real word. I just made that up, but it works by not, by not acknowledging that. 
Mm. I mean, yes, as when you went through the um, went through the abstract to begin with, he very clearly says two planes did not bring down three towers in New York. Uh, no hard evidence that Muslims are responsible. Knowledge for uh, full knowledge of events and so on and so forth. And in fact, further in the main body of um, of the article, he does sort of spend a bit of time. Um, Making all various claims about um, about what happened on 9/11 and referring to various works that have been um, published on it, um, one of which is by someone who was resident in Auckland. Yes, I don't know. It did not sound familiar to me. I don't think it was one we've looked at before. No. So I mean, I've read it and passed comment on it online, but I don't think we ever covered this on the podcast. So back in 2017 a law lecturer at AUT University, which will make people hear snigger because AUT stands for the Auckland University of Technology. So when you say AUT University, you're saying the Auckland University of Technology University, and that seems ever so slightly redundant. But this particular law lecturer, Amy Baker Benjamin, wrote a piece in a law journal that was published called 9-11 is False Flag, Why International Law Must Dare to Care, which kind of runs exactly the same kind of argument, but from a legal perspective rather than an international relations perspective. Right. I Now, in the section where he goes through sort of what he, what he sort of claims uh, basically self-evident truths or at least you know um unassailable truths uh about the events of 9-11 um there, there's quite a few of them i i'm not quite f- familiar enough with the uh the breadth of 9-11 conspiracy theories to be able to pin him down to one thing he do he definitely appears to be a a, a me hop rather than a lee hop guy he does uh, appear to be claiming that um that the the u.s government actually was behind 9-11. Yeah, not, they made not, it happen on purpose mm. rather than let it happen on purpose. Although he does claim that they had foreknowledge of it and so on, he appears to go beyond that and rather than saying they knew it was going to happen and allowed it to further their own ends, they actually made it happen to further their own ends. Um, <clears throat> and, yeah, th- there, are a lot of cla- there are a lot of claims, basically, and, and, and as we are not going to go through the entirety of 9-11 conspiracy theories and evaluate them there. He obviously is not going to go through the entirety of 9-11 conspiracy theories and um, provide proof for every one of them there. He simply re- uh, refers to a whole bunch of articles. So the the his paper itself is full of lots of um, very, very uh, definite claims um, and then the evidence that he appeals to to back up those claims are in the form of the references later on. Um, but there's, as, there's I think as you point out in your notes, all of the evidence he puts forward is kind of consistent with a let it happen on purpose rather than make it happen on purpose hypothesis. Uh, a lot of it is. He does get into the the sort of jet fuel can't melt steel beams type thing uh, as, uh, as if to imply that um, it's not possible that planes crashing into the Twin Towers uh, could have caused them to collapse and that it's not possible that damage from debris caused WTC7 to collapse. So he does he does seem to be, um, it, 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 it looked to be more than just a lee hop to me, but um, certainly, yes, some of the points that he puts a lot of emphasis on could just support the idea that the US government um, 
US government knew about and never happened. At now, one there's a point, bit of a sleight of hand that goes on in this discussion. So he makes a very bold claim that the 9-11 Commission report and the two subsequent NIST reports, the engineering reports about the failures of WTC 1 and 2, have been convincingly debunked by David Ray Griffin, a philosopher of religion who's written several books on 9-11 truth hypotheses, and goes, so these are no longer credible sources. But what's interesting here is they're no longer credible sources to people in the 9-11 truth community because they take it that David Ray Griffith's debunking has been definitive. But it's not the case that David Ray Griffith's I think it's Griffins, isn't it? Yes, it is Griffin. I, I apologize, David Ray. I've called you Griffiths when actually you are Griffin instead. It's not accepted outside of the 9-11 truth community that actually his debunking of the 9-11 commission report and then this report is in fact such a severe debunking that they are no longer credible sources. So there's quite a lot of sleight of hand in the presentation of the evidence when it comes to this particular argument. Now, you might agree with David Ray Griffin that the 9-11 Commission report isn't good or the NIST reports aren't good, but that is a contentious claim. This is not something which is universally agreed upon by all people in this debate. Yeah, and that that really seems to strike at the, the, the fundamental issue I think we both have with this paper. It's it's coming from a 9-11 truther perspective, and it, it as far as um, as far as this paper is concerned, the fact that 9-11, the, the official version of 9-11 um, is false and that 9-11 was some sort of a false flag or something is, is undisputably true. Um, everything, everything he says is predicated on this notion, and coming from that perspective, it does make it make sense. If you really believe that this stuff is is incontrovertibly uh, true, then the fact that it isn't taken uh, isn't really taken into consideration by other academics uh, is something very weird. That in order to account for, you have to look at at the ideas of sort of you know socialization and and neo McCarthyite taboo. Um, but in the context of you know look, looking at this paper not as a nine eleven truther. It does a lot of it appears to be putting the cart before the before the horse. Um, yes, it's it, not particularly convincing if you aren't already in the yeah. made it happen on purpose camp. So if this is meant to be a publication which is meant to sway people to treat 9-11 seriously and reopen an investigation, it's not going to be very successful. Because rather than guiding people to, look, there are some open questions about the event that the official theory cannot account for, you are just told repeatedly, if you believe the official theory, you are wrong. But without much argumentation as to explain why you're wrong, other than here are some references, there's a lot of them, don't you feel stupid now? Mm. To, To the extent of sort of saying that, that uh, modern academia is sort of anti-science because how could you truly believe in in the notion of sort of science and truth um, if you know that uh, 
this this stuff is complete nonsense you you know if you know deep in your heart that it's none of it is actually really true um Actually, so I've got I've got I've got a another point which actually takes us back okay. to the very beginning of the mm-hmm. paper, and that is the discussion that we should treat nine eleven as a prima facie false flag event because of the history of false flag events in Western history. Ah, yes, yes. Now, false flags obviously a topic near and dear to our hearts. They show up everywhere, and uh, long-time listeners will know we've we've talked about a lot of false flags. We've even had sort of a, a, a series going at one point where we looked at nothing but false flags for a month or two. And false and flags many of the ones we looked happened. at turn up here. Yeah. Mm, mm, and yeah. so what's interesting is that The author runs an argument that goes, look, there are all of these false flags that have occurred, which have been covered up by various Western governments over time, including several false flag operations run by the Americans. Given this particular fact, surely we should treat seriously the distinct possibility that 9-11 is a false flag. Now, that's the charitable interpretation. The author seems to go, we must take into account that 9-11 was probably a false flag. So he makes an even stronger claim than the one that I made. And this I find kind of fascinating because of the list of false flags that he lists, he mentions some which we have covered in in the past, Operation Northwoods, uh, the Glatwich incident, and the Gulf of Tonkin. But he also asserts that the Reichstag fire was a false flag, and that's one of those false flags which most modern historians go, no, the Nazis did not start the fire. Yes, they conveniently blame the communists for the fire, but they didn't actually start it. And now I feel as I'm about to start a a midnight oil song. Mm. Don't you mean a... um, Were you you talking about beds are burning? I thought we didn't start the fire. Yeah, that was... Billy Joel? Anyway. I believe so. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, not not I was actually keeping local Joshua. Yep. No, fair enough. Go for the Antipodean reference every time. Um, so, as, as as I said, as he said, um, first of all, he, he said he wanted to show that academic literature does not adequately address nine eleven truth, and his method for doing this is to basically say. Everybody knows that 9-11 truth conspiracy theories are true, and the fact that academics don't talk about them shows they're not doing their job properly, which, as we say, is a little bit cut before the horsey. Um, but then he goes on later to explain why it doesn't, why, why academic literature doesn't address 9-11 truth. And the first thing he talks about is the weaponization of the term conspiracy theory, a topic near and dear to our own hearts. And he does bring up the whole CIA thing. Although, as you point out in your note, at least he doesn't actually claim the CIA invented the term because they didn't. It's been around a lot longer than that. Mm. Now, the idea that the CIA uh, invented or or weaponized, quote unquote, the um, the term conspiracy theory is something we looked at. I think I think in our first year of podcasting, it was a good good ways back. Either that or early into the second. Um, and as we said at the time, basically conspiracy theory and cons- well, at least conspiracy theory, I think, had been used as a pejorative term before the particular paper in the 1960s that people always point to to say here's the CIA um, trying to trying to weaponize the term conspiracy theory. It, 
Was it possible that they sort of promoted the term conspiracy theorist? I can't remember exactly the details of it. So it is the case that the term was being used in a pejorative sense before the CIA got their dirty little hooks into it. But it is true that they did want to tarnish the reputation of certain people who didn't think that JFK was killed by Lee Harvey Oswald as being conspiracy theorists. So they were going, look, one really good way to get people to stop paying attention to these people is to call them conspiracy theorists. They weren't technically weaponizing a term. They were taking an existing term and going, look, there's a convenient pejorative we can apply to these people and it will do the work for us. Mm. So there's that to begin with. And um, following that, it goes into um, more uh, socio-political, I think is the term he uses, reasons. So he talks about taboo a lot. He talks about... Um, Sorry, Josh, I think you'll find that taboo. 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 Possibly. Uh, so he, he talks about the idea that... Um, uh, 9-11 truth is, is a taboo. It's, it's, it's the topic that dare not speak its name. Yes. Um, and, and sort of leans on that claim to basically say this is why academics don't talk about it. It's become a taboo topic. It's something you're just, you're not allowed to talk about and indeed goes into the idea that, um, you know, uh, academic careers can be ruined by taking 9-11 truth theory seriously. And there's, 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 there's money, there's funding money in looking into the theories that the powers that be want you to look into, which is, it's, it's not a hundred percent untrue, but it's a bit of a distortion of, of academic reality, is it not? Yeah. So, I mean, it is the case that if you're looking for funding for hot topics you want to study, you tend to study things which are of the moment. Now, there's an interesting aspect of this paper, which I quite like, which is talking about how, A, after about five years, people stopped talking about 9-11, and they started talking about the war on terror. And as the author points out, the 9-11 truth movement kind of gets into gear at that particular point in time. So it actually might be understandable why IR scholarship has ignored 9-11 as an alternative hypothesis for quite some time, because by the time evidence was being amounted for we should question the official theory, most scholarship had moved on to, look, there's a war on terror going on now. It's terrible. Look at the consequences. We need to analyze that instead. And that kind of reflects the reality of academic research. You tend to do research on things which are topical and of the moment. And I think one thing which certain 9-11 truthers have never been able to get comfortable with is that not many people care about the event of 9-11 now. People care about the events which happened afterwards, the invasion of Iraq, the war on terror, the war in Afghanistan, and all those other things. But 9-11, even though it's a momentous event, which probably did reshape Western civilization to a very large extent, is but a footnote in history. And this is one of the weird things. I mean, 9-11 was in 2001, which means I teach undergrads now who were born after 9-11. And a lot of them have no awareness of it whatsoever because it's just not been a big part of their history growing up. Mm. 
Um, now, I guess the one the, the the one thing, or one of the main things that occurred to me reading through this paper, is that it kind of exemplifies the problem I have with with a lot of nine eleven. Uh, truth stuff, which is that it spends all its time bagging the official theory. Um, it's it's all, all, all the usual, uh, all, all the stuff that's brought up is, um, you know, planes, it, it wasn't planes crashing, buildings couldn't have collapsed this way. Um, it, it's, all, it, it's, it's, it's all the case in the negative, but I don't believe anywhere in this paper he actually lays out a positive case for here's what really happened. There's, there's generalities. There's, you know, it, it didn't happen the way we thought it did. The U.S. government was probably behind it. Um, you know, there, there's a whole lot of what, died in 2001. Mm, there's a whole lot of what didn't happen on 9/11, but not an awful lot of here's what did happen on 9/11. And surely, if, as he said earlier, people should be evaluating the official theory against alternative theories, he doesn't really put forward an alternative theory. His only alternative theory is that the official theory isn't right. I mean, I suppose by implication. He is trying to argue that if the official theory is incorrect, there's one and only one hypothesis that accounts for this, which is the 9-11 truth movement hypothesis. And you might argue that maybe the reason why he's vague on that is that he's also aware that the 9-11 community of truthers is actually fairly divided as to who they think is really responsible and how the event went down. So he doesn't want to write an article advocating for one particular variation of the inside job hypothesis for the sheer fact that this is meant to be a salvo against the official theory and not a salvo supporting one particular rival in this particular game. I think that's what's going on there. He's aware that it's better to attack the official theory and not confirm which particular theory he adheres to because it's better for the movement as a whole. And you might even say that's a kind of epistemically virtuous thing for him to do in this situation. Maybe he's going, look, the official theory is clearly wrong. I'm not entirely sure which of the other viable alternatives is the better one in this case. So let's just make a case for going that we should dismiss the official theory, and then the proper investigation to get to the real truth of the matter can actually commence. Yeah, I... I I would not be that. Am I being too charitable? I, I I would not be that charitable myself. I mean, he really does seem to. When he talks about the failings of 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 um, international academia in the in the IR field, he really does sort of say that they should they should be looking into the right theories, not not the wrong, bad, discredited official theory, without. Saying what the if what the alternative hypotheses they should actually be investigating are, he's more just about yeah the official theory is wrong and so anyone who believes that is is obviously wrong. I don't know. I I I think before we before before we go into the reaction to this paper, was there anything um any other points you wanted to bring up about it? Movies. Ah, movies. So there's a section towards the end 
where he basically does special pleading about how the film industry is against 9-11 truthers because A, the event looked like a big budget action film and then people had the temerity to make films about 9-11 which support the official theory, which could be some kind of cognitive programming being used by Hollywood elites to make us not question what really happened on that day. Aren't... um... Aren't the more recent Star Trek ones all 9-11 analogies? There was the claim that Into Darkness was a kind of 9-11 analogy, but that film was so awful that I'm not entirely sure what it was meant mm. to be, other than Benedict Cumberbatch pretending to be gone. Yeah. The new, the new Picard series seems a little bit, a little bit sort of... If not same, flaggy, same well, then... I was about to say same writer, same producer as the Star Trek films, mm. Alex Kurtzman. So, I don't know. So maybe he, maybe the um, uh, the author of this paper just isn't Doctor Hughes isn't looking um, isn't looking closely enough to find nine eleven uh, support in the entertainment industry. I don't know. But no, so I was going to say that the the reaction to the I mean, okay. First of all, first thing, as 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 an academic, um, you you might be able to explain this to me. What does it mean that this paper was published in a? I believe it was reviewed and published in a journal. Does that mean the journal agrees with it? Does it mean they simply thought it was rigorously researched and argued enough to be worth printing? What what, what is the significance of this paper actually being published in the first place? So the fact that it was published in a peer-reviewed journal means that at the very least it was submitted to a journal and was sent out to one or more reviewers who read the document and either recommended a revise and resubmit or acceptance. Now, not knowing too much about the peer review process that this journal engages in, I don't know whether it was blind peer review, so the author was basically, their name was taken out, or how many reviewers there were. Sorry, you're about to say... Uh, I just the acknowledgement at the end of this paper says my thanks go to the two anonymous reviewers. Well, there we go. I didn't actually read the acknowledgement. Yeah. I never do. No. So, so certainly he doesn't know who the reviewers were, although I don't know if the reviewers knew who they were reviewing. Uh, but sorry, carry Presumably on. Presumably not. They shouldn't have. If the paper was blinded, then no one in the system other than the editor would know. And even then there are systems which is double blind review where even the editor will not know who the paper is by before they assign the reviewers. So this indicates that it was considered worthy enough to publish in a journal. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean much because there are journals and there are journals. Some journals are easier to publish in than others because some journals have higher acceptance rates. Some disciplines have a very high acceptance rate. So philosophy has one of the worst acceptance rates for peer-reviewed papers in any academic discipline in that only 20% of papers which are written ever get through peer review. So four-fifths of of philosophical writing gets discarded at some particular point. I uh, might be similar, or it might be that virtually everything you write will be published in some journal somewhere. But it was peer-reviewed, which means it has gone through a quality assurance check, which means at least two academics went, 
we think this is worth publishing. Now, that doesn't mean they agreed with the content. It might just mean that they think it raises sufficient interesting questions that more research should be done. So publication does not mean endorsement, as in it doesn't mean that the journal or the reviewers think, this is a great paper, I agree with everything. Sometimes it simply means it's done enough work that other people should read it and follow their own research agendas about it. Hmm. And so the reaction to it, I, from what I've seen, there was an immediate uh, negative reaction to this paper being published. There was, I believe, one some, somebody was saying on Twitter that they were given this paper to review and declined to review it, presumably based on, I don't know if it was based on any more than the title or having had a look at the abstract or whatever. Uh, there was one, one person who said, um, I was asked to review this, I declined to review it, and if I had reviewed it, I would have I would have declined it or whatever you... Rejected whatever, it. Rejected, rejected it. it. Um, and then there was a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a to do on the internet, and I understand the editor eventually posted a response to the to the controversy. So yes, and they posted it in the worst way possible. So the editor of the journal, which is Lacan Edel Ozteg, wrote a document, presumably in Word, and then presumably took their phone and took a photo of the screen and then took that screenshot, and I'm using that in the loosest terms possible, mm. on the internet. Well, possibly so, the most accurate term. That's also true. So mm. it's kind of terrible to look at, but basically the gist is, yes, there's controversy around the publication of this paper, including a burst of outrage on social media that we've been we're subject to publishing an outright conspiracy, and the article went out to unqualified reviewers. First of all, the article does not put forward a conspiracy theory. That's quite debatable, especially given the definition of conspiracy theory we use on this podcast. The article raises questions about 9-11 and highlights the attention should be paid to other explanations of the event and that the article went through a proper peer review process and the reviewers are respectable scholars in the field of international relations and then the editor exhorts, I kindly ask those who attack the editorial board members to stop. The editorial board members do not read all the articles before publication. All responsibility regarding the article belongs to me and the author. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's possibly a little disingenuous to do that. He was just asking questions lines when in the abstract it's specifically saying two planes did not bring down three towers. Yeah, it is putting forward a conspiracy theory, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, as we know. Mm. Mm. Yes, I mean, it's a little bit interesting. It's... um, I personally am not convinced by this paper for basically the reasons that we've already said. It it only makes sense if you already assume that 9-11 truth conspiracy theories are true, and if you don't, there's nothing particularly persuasive about it. So is there any more to say? So I was thinking about this when I was reading the article the other day. If I had been the reviewer, what would have been my particular view? I'm of the opinion that if I had been the reviewer on this paper, which I wouldn't have been because I'm not a specialist in international relations, I would have suggested a major revise and resubmit. So I think there's an interesting gist here, which is 
why aren't people looking at alternative theories for this particular event? I think most of the evidence put forward as to your idiots for believing the official the theory end up being quite contentious. But I could imagine a version of this paper which is going, look, given the nature of the event and given the consequences of the event, we want to be really, really sure that the alternative explanation, and here's the evidence for it, doesn't hold water. So people who are specialists in this particular field probably should at least have an account as to why they prefer the official narrative over the rival conspiracy theory. Now, whether the author could actually rewrite the paper in that kind of neutral tone, I don't know, but that's probably what I would have gone for myself. Try and rewrite the paper that doesn't assume 9-11 was an inside job and see what happens then. Mm. Well, there you have it. And, and, and I guess also it's nice that um, I mean, it does, like a lot of it says stuff that we are, we, we are fairly sympathetic to, the idea that um, you know, conspiracy theory is used incorrectly, we would say, as a pejorative, um, as a way of, of discounting things that maybe should be looked into more closely. But um, yeah, as you say, possibly doesn't, doesn't make the best case for it. No, no, no. unfortunately not. No. So there you have it. Um, and just in time for us to wrap up the episode, I think. <clears throat> Indeedy. But for patrons, all going well and this recording actually works, we've got exciting patron content. And you too can become a patron by joining our Patreon or Podbean patron campaign for as little as a dollar a month. And if you do, like our patrons, you'll get to hear about Patton Oswald, Corey Feldman, Corey Haim, Sam Brittenburn, uh, a guy called Matt, who is apparently trying to plan a terror cell in our country, and the fact that Russia, once again, is up to no good. Heaven for fend. <clears throat> so, yes, um, that's what we're going to go and talk about now in the recorded episode, the recorded bonus episode for our patrons. Um, to the rest of you, obviously, thank you for listening to us. That's, that's really awesome. Um, if you felt like it, you could go and leave reviews for us on iTunes or whatever else you can leave reviews for podcasts on. That's the thing people say, isn't it? Rate and review, like and we, subscribe. We got an email recently mm. asking us to promote our podcast, and it turns out the last time someone wrote a review for what is now Apple Podcasts was back the first time I went to Bucharest. So it'd be nice to have a more modern review about the more modern version of the show because we've grown and changed and hopefully got only slightly worse. Yes, in fact, what was that other... We got an email. We got an email about a week ago um, from some service that supposedly tracks the popularity of, of podcasts that they wanted us to sign up for. Oh, weren't we kind of like fourth popular in Turkey or something like that? Something like that, yes. It was, let me see if I can find the, uh, uh, here was we go. It fourth popular in Ankara, so quite specifically a region of Turkey. Uh, I think it was just Turkey. Hang on, I think I found the link. Let me have a look. Let me have a look. Fetching latest rankings. Oh, it's changed. Oh, oh. no. Now it's a different one. Uh, now we're number 51 in society and culture philosophy podcasts as listened to in New Zealand. Unfortunately, we're number 230 in England. 
but I'm, I swear last time we were number 46 in, in Turkey. So there we go. Beloved in Ankara, more or less. Well, so, know, yeah. Taysip Erdogan really likes his podcast. And he likes sure the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy. And when you've got an authoritarian dictator on your side, everything is going very, very badly. Mm. So with that ringing endorsement um, to go out on, uh, I think all that really remains is to say to you, our listeners, goodbye. Toodly pip pip. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. M.R. Extented, which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Mikey Fluids and Conspiracism. Remember, Soylent Green is meeples.